Um, good morning, my name is Matt. We are on week number two of a series called God Speaks. We are looking at major messages from the minor prophets. And we're taking this collection of messages over the summer to be able to walk through what does God have for us, these words that are 3,000 years old. And, and somehow we are asking God still today to speak to us. Now, I, I have a lot of big language. The, the message title is The Invasion. <laughs> of our hearts. The invasion of our hearts. There's this passage. It's one of my favorite passages. It's Proverbs 4.23. And it says, watch over your heart. In NIV it says, above all else, guard your heart. For from it flows the springs of life, or from it flows the wellspring of life. This word guard, I want you to picture a, a guard standing at the top of a castle wall or a tower, looking out for the coming armies that are going to invade. You don't want to just sit there and wait for the battle to come. You send the army to go out and to fight the battle to protect the castle. And so in Proverbs, we have these words, to guard your heart, to watch over your heart with all diligence. And there's going to be an exchange I want to talk about today because in many ways we have guarded our hearts against the wrong things. And we've allowed or even guarded our hearts against the right things. And, and some of us, we've kept God at, at arm's length. So God, I don't want you and I don't want you to invade my heart. And so we kind of lower the wall, we even lower the drawbridge and we say, sin, come on in. And so in many of our lives, we've allowed that to come in and it has wreaked havoc. It has caused mayhem and it has destroyed. It has invaded our lives in many incredible ways. As we are looking, and even today, today is what we call Promotion Sunday, or we actually in children's ministries call it Commotion Sunday because nobody knows where they're going. It's really fun. Um, but everybody is moving up. Um, this is that season of like graduation and everybody's going. Even this week on Wednesday, we are graduating our eighth grade class here at Calvary Christian School. So we're really excited about that. Um, but we are supposed to be, to the extent that we are guarding our hearts, our own hearts, that we are as parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles and people who have people in our lives that are younger than us, we have this calling to actually like guard their hearts as well. Until there's this point where they can actually begin to guard their hearts themselves. And this is the heart of the message of a minor prophet named Joel. This is what he is trying to talk about. Now, there's not much that's known about Joel. Um, Pastor Dave last week covered Hosea. Um, and we're going to just work through this is the next book. It's the next minor prophet. Um, it's just shorter. It doesn't mean that they're less important. And, and Joel has a lot to say. But we don't know much about him. Um, in fact, I think there's about 12 different Joels that are listed in the Bible. And we know different things about different ones. But this one is only showing up here. And, and he is this prophet that is speaking to Judah. This is the southern part of Israel's pre-exile. And he has some words of warning. He says to watch over your Hearts. And so uh, there is an outline there, and you can check, and hopefully I'll follow along with it. But it's kind of fun when I, I just have the outline up here, and I start writing notes. And it's like when you go into your finals at math, and they say you can bring one page of notes in, and you just write all over it. That's kind of what this and my Bible looks like. And so we'll just depend on the Spirit of God here instead, right? <laughs> I want us to think about this idea 
of wreaking havoc. You guys, are you familiar with wreaking havoc? Raise your hand if you know what wreaking havoc is. How many of you, you've seen havoc being wreaked in places of other people's lives? <laughs> how, how many of you, you've actually seen that in your own life? Right? And, and sometimes the cause, there's all kinds of different causes. How many of you, it's, the reason is because the person you're sitting next to you right now. Just kidding. You don't have to answer that. That's all right. But think about, there's a lot of things that, that, that cause this, this havoc. It's this like everything is being destroyed and there's this battleground for our hearts. Now, look, there's, there's natural disasters, right? We've seen this. You can watch the news. You can just pick any point during this week, look in the news, and you will find places here on earth where there is havoc. There is destruction. We have hurricanes and earthquakes and floods and lava volcano explosions, right? And, and havoc has been ensued, right? And sometimes you just come home from work and it's one of these little furry animals, right? That wreak havoc. This is why I don't like animals, right? This is what happens. They destroy everything. And as some of you, it's like dessert last night wreaked havoc on your entire diet, right? That was going on. Del Taco maybe last night, right? Joel is writing about a different kind of havoc that was wreaked. He's talking about locusts. Anyone ever dealt with locusts? We, we don't have a lot of that here in Orange County, right? What are they going to, they're going to gnaw on the buildings or something like that. But it's this little animal that they can go through a crop that looks like this before, and then afterwards there's nothing left. In fact, in 1915, uh, going through the areas of Israel, Lebanon, and Syria, there was a swarm of locusts that went through, and it took this tree, and it turned it in a matter of a couple days into this tree. I, it's amazing. In 2010, in Australia, there was a swarm of locusts the size of Spain. Yeah, that's, that's kind of big, right? In Madagascar in 2012, for three months, there was a swarm that just decimated the crops. Now, I, I want you to see this, and I want to walk through a couple of these things, because there is something that is going on that Joel's talking about. He's talking, they had locust problems back then. So go with me, Joel chapter 1, verse 1, and we're going to just plow through this. I'm going fast today, and we're not covering everything, okay? There's going to be parts that I'm going to miss. Hopefully we're going to get some of it, but... The hope is that you go home and you study and you go and you dive into this. It's only three chapters. You can read the whole thing this week and then read it over and over again because God has a message. God still speaks today. So it says this, The word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Pethua. We don't know anything about him either. Hear this, O elders, and listen, all inhabitants of the land. Has anything like this happened in your days or your father's days? Tell your sons about it. And let your sons tell their sons and their sons the next generation. Don't let it die out. This needs to be said. And so, praise God, it's written down and we get to tell it again to the next generation. In verse 4, when the, what the gnawing locust has left, the swarming locust has eaten. And what the swarming locust has left, the creeping locust has eaten. And what the creeping locust has left, the stripping locust has eaten. And because of this, there is devastation in the land. In verse 5, Awake, drunkards, and weep, and wail, all you wine drinkers, on account of the sweet wine that is cut off from your mouth. If you liked a little wine, there is no more. The locusts have come. 
For a nation has invaded my land, mighty and without number. Its teeth are like the teeth of a lion, and has the fangs of a lioness, and it has made my vine a waste, and my fig tree splinters. It has stripped them bare and cast them away. The branches have become white. Now, these locusts, they could lay eggs in the ground, and 20 years later, they hatch and they come to life. They, I, I have stats, nerdy, nerdy stats. Let's see. You can have a swarm 460 square miles, 80 to 160 million locusts per square mile. We can't even think of it, right? They can consume 420 million pounds per day. Just, just look at this. And when groups merge, they form a swarm. eats its entire body weight every day, and a whole swarm can consume literally hundreds of tons of vegetation. They have to keep on moving. The swarm travels with the wind. It's the most energy-saving way of flying. Following the flow of wind means that they're always heading toward areas of low pressure places where wind meets rain and vegetation starts to grow. As they fly, swarms join up with other swarms to form gigantic plagues several billion strong and as much as 40 miles wide. They will consume every edible thing that lies in their path. Right? That's kind of intense. We, we don't think of it. Just, okay, like a bunch of grasshoppers flying around. It's intense. Just look at what happens here. Just continue to read with me. This is chapter 1, verse 8. Wail like a virgin girded with sackcloth for the bridegroom of her youth. The grain offering, the drink offering are cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests, they mourn. The ministers of the Lord, the field is ruined. The land mourns for the grain is ruined. The new wine dries up. Fresh oil fails. Be ashamed, O farmers, wail, O vine dressers, because the harvest of the field is destroyed. And then it says, indeed, rejoicing even dries up. There's nothing. Everything is left desolate. And it says, gird yourself with sackcloth and lament, O priests. Wail, O ministers of the altar. Come spend the night in sackcloth, O ministers of my God. For the grain offering and the drink offering are withheld from the house of your God. Wreaking havoc. I want you to understand and make this connection that Joel, while he doesn't name exactly which sin the people of Israel are committing, there is a sin. It, it could be alienation or indifference, a failure to follow the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but there is something that is keeping them from a right relationship 
with God. And it's wreaking havoc, and their hearts have become a battleground. Now, not only that, but there is mayhem. Now, it's not just locusts. And there was some kind of local locust disaster back in the day that he's referring to. And he's using that to catapult into this other thing that is saying, look, it's not just the locusts, but there is an army that's coming. And there is a day that is coming. I want you to look in in chapter 2. Jump ahead to chapter 2. Blow a trumpet, blow a shofar in Zion and sound an alarm on my mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble for the day of the Lord is coming. Now, one thing, if you learn about Joel, one thing that he's associated with is he's talking about this day of the Lord. It's this day that's coming where there will be decision, there will be judgment, there will be battle. And you could look, and it's a great, super fun, nerdy study if you want to get into it, but look at Joel 1, 2, and 3. And go read something like Revelation chapter 9 and see where all of the language is coming. He's pointing to this day where God is going to sit and he is going to judge between the nations. I'll get there in a bit. A day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. As the day is spread over the mountains, so there is a great and mighty people. So there has never been anything like it, nor will there ever again to the years of many generations. Now listen to this. A fire, in verse 3, consumes before them and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them. But a desolate wilderness behind them, and nothing at all escapes them. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses, and like war horses, so they run. Do you get that? In front of them is the Garden of Eden, lush, beautiful. Think of the tree that was there, and now the locusts come through, and now there's nothing. It's like the Tasmanian devil. Remember the cartoon, right? Just comes through, plows through it, and now there's nothing left. They consume everything that is in front of them. In verse 6, before them... The people are in anguish. All faces turn pale. Verse 11, the Lord utters his voice before his army. Surely his camp is great, for strong is he who carries out his word. The day of the Lord is indeed great and very awesome. And who can endure it? The answer is no one. It's mayhem. Mayhem that is coming in the form of armies of mighty people across the earth. Mayhem. This is a little bit of what mayhem looks like. I'm your dog. Holding down the fort while you're out catching a movie. Lucky for me, your friend showed up with this awesome bone. Hey! The guys are great. And if you've got your home insurance, or you've got your cut-rate car insurance, it might not replace all this. So get all state. You can save money and be better protected from mayhem. Like me. Mayhem is everywhere. So get an Allstate agent. Are you in good hands? Mommy! Mommy, 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 mommy! 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 Mayhem is everywhere. So get an Allstate agent. Are you in good hands? Mayhem is everywhere. Right? You have a bunch of kids over at your house? Mayhem, right? But we, we know what mayhem is. We've seen mayhem. And Joel is calling out and he's saying, look, there's this day that is coming. Mayhem is upon you. Whether you like it or not, when God decides to bring judgment, you cannot avoid that judgment. And so there is this thing. God is sending out an army to come against his people. Why? He will fight against his people to bring us to repentance. God is zealous 
He is hungry for our hearts. He wants us to turn towards him. And so he's calling his people to return. Go back to chapter 1 in verse 14. And he says this, Consecrate a fast. Proclaim a solemn assembly. Gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. Alas, for the day, for the day of the Lord is near and it will come as destruction from the Almighty. Has not food been cut off from before our eyes? Gladness and joy from the house of God? The seeds shrivel under their clods. The storehouses are desolate. The barns are torn down for the grain is dried up. How the beasts groan, the herds of cattle wander aimlessly because there's no pasture for them. Even the flocks of sheep suffer. And then Joel gets personal. To you, O Lord, I cry, for fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness and the flame has burned up all the trees of the field. Even the beasts of the field, they pant for you for the water brooks are dried up and fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness. It's not just the locusts, but now there's fire, there's drought. It's not looking pretty for the people of Israel. Joel saying, turn your hearts. This is a call for them to return to God with all of their hearts. And so he says this. Look in verse, now I'm jumping around a little bit. I'm just trying to put this in some kind of order for you. Go to chapter 2, verse 12. Chapter 2, verse 12, it says this. Yet even now, declares the Lord. Yet even now. Uh, look in the message, the translation of the message. It says, it's not too late. It's not too late. Return to the Lord. Return to me with all your heart. And with fasting and weeping and mourning. Return to me. Look, our, our passage, our message this entire summer is God speaks. If we're saying that God speaks, the question is, what is he saying if he's speaking? And over and over throughout this summer, you're going to hear this message, return to me. 84 times in the minor prophets, 84 times God says, return to me. If you include the three major prophets, now you're up to 314 times throughout the prophet. What's the message of the prophets? If God speaks to the prophets and the prophets speak to the people, what is that message? The message is shuva, return to me. Come back to me and do it with all of your heart. And then, check this out, the next verse, verse 13. If you've heard of Joel, if you've heard Joel quoted, this is probably the verse that you've heard. But this is a call not just to return and do something externally, but it's a call to go beyond the external and to look at the internal. And it says this, And rend your hearts and not your garments. Now return to the Lord your God. Rend your hearts and not your garments. When they would mourn, when they would suffer, they would take their garments and just externally as a sign of their suffering and their mourning and their weeping, they would rip their clothes. And he says, don't rip your clothes. Rip or tear your hearts open. Isaiah 64 is this call for worship. It says, rend the heavens. God, tear open the heavens and come down. Our worship, if we're going to worship God in spirit and in truth today, then our hearts have to be torn 
before God. God doesn't want your outward external actions. Don't rip your clothing. He says, I want your heart. Why? Return to the Lord. Why? Because he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and relenting of evil. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent. We're scared to turn. We're scared to give our hearts and let God invade our hearts because we are scared. But if you read this description of who this God is, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness and mercy and compassionate, then our hearts should want to turn to this God. And this is what I love. And I want you to see the juxtaposition that Joel is giving us here. It says, so who knows in verse 14, whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, even a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Do you see what's going on? Who knows that maybe if you turn and you give your life fully over to God, that behind him, he will leave a blessing. Wait, wait, wait. What, what about the armies and the locusts and all of that stuff? What were they doing? They came in and there was the Garden of Eden before them and destruction, desolation, and wilderness behind them. God says, if you turn to me and you do it with all of your heart, who knows, maybe behind that I will take all of the desolation. I will take all of the, the horrible things that have been destroyed. The mayhem and the havoc that has been wrought against you. And maybe God will take all of that in your life and you'll leave a blessing. I mean, how many of you want that? I want that in my life. And so the call for us is to rend our hearts and not your garments. Verse 15, blow a trumpet in Zion. Consecrate a fast, proclaim a solemn assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, and assemble the elders, gather the children and the nursing infants. Get everybody here, not only just them, but let the bridegroom come out of his room and the bride out of her bridal chamber. Who are two people you never want to interrupt on their honeymoon night? He says, no, get everybody out of their rooms. This is time. Rend your hearts. Turn back to the Lord. Let the priests, the Lord's ministers, weep between the porch and the altar. It's out in this open court. Let them see you weeping on behalf of the people to the Lord your God. And let them say, spare your people, Lord, and do not make your inheritance a reproach, a byword among the nations. Why should they among the people say, where is their God? If we repent, he will relent. It's a bumper sticker. Maybe somebody can make it. But this is God's call as he's speaking to Joel to return. And what's God's promise? Well, the rest of the book brings us through his promise. It's not just the desolation. We get some hope in this. And I'm blazing through this. But I want you to hear this. God will make, God will restore what has been made desolate. God will restore what has been made desolate desolate. I want you to see this, and you can follow along in the outline, but I want you to see this. There, there's, it, as we're looking in this prophecy, we're forecasting ahead. There, there is this, this immediate future for the people. Now, what they don't know, this is be, before they come. Now, he's preaching to Judah. This is after the split of the kingdom, before the exile. So he's speaking to Judah, the southern kingdom, and, and eventually what's going to happen is they will be decimated. They will be destroyed and left desolate and, and eventually God will bring them back and restore. But in their immediate future, everything has been destroyed. It will be destroyed. And, and what God promises 
in the next few passages here is some hope. The first thing that he's going to do is he's going to remove those who wreak havoc. Look in verse 20, chapter 2. I will remove the northern army far from you, and I will drive it into parched land and desolate land. And its vanguard into the eastern sea, its rearguard into the western sea, and its stench will arise, and its foul smell will come up, for it has done great things. Do not fear, O land. Rejoice and be glad, for the Lord has done great things. So not only will he remove those who wreak havoc, but he will also restore the devastated land. Now, those of you who have been through trial, those of you who have a story, those of you who have been to hell and back in your life, you need to cling to these verses. Because sometimes you look back on the story of your life and you think, there's so much regret, there's so much that's been taken from me. God gives you a promise here. Look in verse 22. Do not fear, beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness have turned green. For the tree has borne its fruit. The fig tree and the vine have yielded in full. So rejoice, O sons of Zion. Be glad in the Lord your God, for he has given you the early rain for your vindication. And he has poured, out, poured down for you the rain, the early and the latter rain as before. The threshing floors will be full of grain. You'll be able to bring your sacrifice to God in his house, right? And the vats will overflow with the new wine and oil. Like drunkards, wake up, the wine is coming back. Then I will make up to you, listen to this, this is the best passage. Then I will make up to you for the years that the swarming locust has eaten. The creeping locust, the stripping locust, and the gnawing locust. My great army which I sent among you. You will have plenty to eat and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God. You will raise a hallelujah who dealt wondrously with you. Then my people will never be put to shame. He will be restoring. If you went through abuse as a child and you lost your childhood, God, in some way, in his divine providence, he will restore to you those years. If you lived through a horrible marriage, if you're still going through one, if you have lost friendships, if your work situation is awful, if you have lost years of your life because you were wrongfully imprisoned or you have been suffering with some kind of sickness or disease, Whatever the havoc or mayhem that has been wreaked upon your life, God promises to restore that. What has been left desolate, God says, I want to restore that. And not only that, but in verse 27, then he says, Then you will know that I am the Lord, that I am in the midst of Israel. I am the Lord your God. And he says this a couple times, but this is ultimately what he wants you to I am the Lord. I am the Lord your God, and there is no other, and my people, my people will never be put to shame. God's Spirit, His very presence will be among His people. Now, that is their immediate future. But there is, so we call this like a near fulfillment, but then there's this far fulfillment. And, and these are things for us to look forward to in our future because God is still doing a work and Joel still speaks to us today through God. God is speaking to him. And it says in this next passage that God's spirit will be poured out on all mankind. Look in verse 28. It will come about after this that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind and your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. Even on the male and the female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will display wonders in the sky and the earth. He's going forward and he's talking about all this. And guess what? If you've heard these words before, you probably heard them or read them in the book of Acts. As Peter is speaking, we have this 
this quote. He says, the prophet Joel says, and then he starts to quote Joel. He's quoting, Peter is quoting Joel, and they are waiting for the coming of the Spirit. And it was on that day of Pentecost, the Spirit of God came. In biblically, it's called the, the Feast of Shavuot, or the Feast of Weeks. It came, Shavuot, it, Pentecost, it's 50 days after Passover. Guess what? Passover was actually 50 days ago today. Today is Pentecost. Today is Shavuot. And so they would bring the first sheaves of their harvest to the Lord. But this was the day, not only that the Spirit of God fell on those people in Jerusalem, it was also the day that they remembered and they gathered together because it was also the same day that God gave the Israelites the law of Moses on Mount Sinai. And so they remember. That, that's today, by the way. I'm not making that up. We didn't even plan that. It just happened. It was really cool. But he says, look, I'm going to do this. I'm going to pour out my spirit on all the earth. In Numbers 11, Moses has the spirit of God. Whenever he has the spirit of God, God is just speaking through him. And Moses, you can tell that he's spending time with God. And those who are nearest to God, they know what God is going to do, right? And God is speaking to them. And Moses would come, but... God takes his spirit that was poured out on Moses and he divides it up and he gives it to the 70, right? But he says in Numbers eleven twenty nine, 29, he says, Oh, that all were given the spirit. This is the hope. This is what we are praying for in the future, that God will pour out his spirit on all mankind. So that's a promise that we can look forward to. But not only restoration of the devastated land, but it's the restoration of of all creation. And I have lots of cross-references, and you can look through all of that. It's really great stuff, but God is going to bring heaven to earth. All of this will be restored. All of this will be restored. And not just the removal of those who wreak havoc, even locally for those people then, but God will defeat evil among all of the nations. And if I had time, I could spend like three more messages just talking about what's going on here in chapter 3. And he says, in those days, at that time, I will restore the fortunes of Jude and Jerusalem. I, I will gather all the nations and I will bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. Um, theologians believe that Jehoshaphat, the valley there, is the Kidron Valley. And he will bring them together. And you can look at Matthew 25. And it's this judgment between the sheep and the goats. And those who were supporting and, and coming after, they were pro, the, the people of God, the Israelites. And, and that, that's us today. We want to be about loving the Jewish people. Or, or there's those who did not. And so God will create this division. I want you to think about this, and what I believe that he's calling us to today is to ask this question. What has sin made desolate in your life, and where has it wreaked havoc? What has sin made desolate in your life, and where has it wreaked havoc in your life? And then what does God need to restore in you? Do you truly believe that God is a God of restoration? That he wants to do a work in you? That he wants to pour out his spirit among you? Wouldn't it be amazing if today was the day that you could call upon God? In fact, in Acts, after Peter gives this amazing message and thousands come to the Lord in belief, in Acts 2.38, he says, Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and receive his Holy Spirit. 
God is still speaking today. And he's saying to you, and he's saying to me, return to me with all of your hearts. Rend your hearts, not your garments, but that we would fully and totally give all of ourselves to him. And as he closes out the book, in Joel chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, it says this, The Lord roars. The Lion of Judah will once again roar from Zion. And he utters his voice, thunderous, from Jerusalem, and the heavens and the earth tremble. But the Lord is a refuge for his people and a stronghold to the sons of Israel. And then he repeats what he said before, then you will know that I am the Lord your God. Dwelling in Zion, dwelling among you by the power of his Holy Spirit, my holy mountain. So Jerusalem will be holy and strangers will pass through it no more. Don't dismiss the minor prophets as a bunch of ancient books that have no bearing, no significance to you or to me today, but that God wants to do something in your life and do a mighty and amazing work. Whatever the enemy has laid desolate in your life, allow God today to use that to bring you back to him. So we're gonna worship God to rend your hearts before him, to return to him. You might need to return to these tables and to remember the goodness of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ as he gave us his body and poured out his blood for all who would believe. Maybe you need prayer and God is stirring something up. Don't ignore that, friends. Believe that that is the spirit of God continuing to work on this feast day of Shavuot that he is calling us back. So God, be near. Speak to hearts today that you truly would be calling your people back. You want to invade our hearts and we have tried to protect ourselves from you, a gracious and kind and compassionate God, a God who is zealous and had pity on his people. So Lord, would you work today? We invite you in. We cry out, holy is the Lord. We need you. Strengthen us today. Help us to lean in and to receive the power of your Holy Spirit at work in our lives. And all God's people said,